0: ToFop or ToFop Plus or ToFop with Friends or Friday ToFop or the podcast formerly known as Fop. I'm Charlie Clawson and my guest this week is Alex Williams. Uh, If you've been listening to ToFop, the real ToFop, ToFop Prime, you would have heard Alex uh, as part of our Donut King investigations. He's also one of uh, Australia's most loved actors who is uh, taking on one of the roles of a lifetime when he plays Shane Warren in the Sunday, is it a mini-series or is it a what do you call it when it's two part? It's
1: event television, Charlie. It's event um, television, Warnies. Exactly. Screening right. this
0: weekend. Uh so is it Sunday and <laughs> Monday night?
1: Yeah, Sunday
0: night, seven o'clock, and then Monday night, um, seven thirty, I think. Uh, now this is exciting. Um, you've been yeah. Uh, maybe you told me about this last year when you when it was still under wraps when you couldn't tell anyone, but you've been living this living with this for quite some time, and it feels like you know, they released the trailer, they released some images and now it's all happening in a rush. How are you feeling about it? It's always funny with this stuff because you, you, you kind of have that first, I mean, you would know this, but you, you have
1: that first rush of, you know, something exciting happening even when you go for the role and then you get a little, you know, the little bite and you go, okay, now I've got the callback and the pressure's on and you're thinking, oh, what if, what if, and all that kind of stuff sort of internally. But you kind of don't let yourself get too excited because, you know, you often don't get them and blah, blah, blah.
0: I often think of Eric Stoltz in Back to the Future. Like Eric Stoltz shot like six weeks of Back to the Future before Spielberg (laughs) and and George Lucas were looking at the rushes and going, oh, you know, well, not George Lucas, it's Spielberg and and, uh, Robert Zemeckis were looking at the rushes and going, oh, we just don't feel like this guy's Mighty McFly. Maybe we can get that dude from Family Ties. And so – Like I used to think that, well, you're not safe until you first stay on set. Like I'm not going to feel like I've got the job until I'm actually on set and the cameras are rolling. But even then, you could get Eric Stoltz. Oh, no, no, no.
1: Like I remember my girlfriend once went over and did a show in the States and, you know, over there they shoot the pilot, you get the role. It's, you know, it's a big deal. And then, you know, they shoot the pilot and then they've got to wait for the pilot to get picked up. And then the pilot got picked up but put the series. And And they're like, oh, and we've recast this guy. And it was just like, imagine you would have told all your mates that the things out in variety or deadline or whatever it is. And then it just sort of gets ripped away from you. I mean, I've got so many, you know, a lot of my mates are actors and yeah, so many like horror stories of, you know, people getting cut out of films, people getting to the final thing and then being replaced and getting something else or whatever it is. And it's, it's a brutal industry. So you don't kind of yeah, you don't let yourself get too excited. You, you let yourself get excited for the audition and then once you do the audition, you just sort of let it go. And then once you've got it, you're not allowed to tell anyone, um, you know, which is, it's a big thing, you know, like they don't come around the, the sort of big ones or big name ones that often, at least for me. So, you know, when you do get them, you know, it's exciting and, and then you shoot it and it's it's quiet um, and there's not a lot of media around it. Um, and then and then it sort of starts coming out and it's just this massive whirlwind and,
0: you know, you're doing press everywhere and um, there's articles about it. And you sort of have a, have made a name for yourself as like someone who starred in biopics. You know, there was obviously the Julian Assange thing, which is probably what most people would first have known you from. And then there was obviously In Excess. Have you played any other Real life, yeah. I've done seven. Oh my goodness, <laughs> yeah. I've done seven. It's kind of like the weirdest niche as an actor to have. <laughs>
1: because it does not think any who's
0: done more biopics than you. Like, that is that seems unusually high. I didn't play the lead in all of
1: them, obviously, but yeah, we had In Excess, um, Easy Beats, Ivan Malat. I did like an underbelly chopper, so I'm counting that. Um, and Brock. I was in Brock. Yeah,
0: um right. Assange. I mean, I Warning. think more than anything, it says you're a good actor. Like you keep getting hired. <laughs> and and more often than Either not, that or my face can just change you know, quite easily. Well, I, don't you know, know. I think but like, you know, biopics are incredibly popular, especially in this country, where it seems to be the bulk of our event television is like a, a, a real life story. So I don't know if it's as I'm sure there'd be a lot of other Aussie actors who probably aren't getting like the lead roles like you're getting, but are playing Real people who probably have ticked up maybe half a dozen of those roles, but I, I'm kind of like Mr. Glass to your Unbreakable <laughs> because I don't <laughs> think I've ever played a real life. I've never every all if my you, if characters fictional. If you had to like,
1: if have you ever kind of thought? oh, I could play him? Like, have you have you had any where you've been, like, eyeing that off and going, oh,
0: or, or auditioned again.
1: for ones that you thought that you were kind of, like, right in the zone for? Well,
0: I know uh, uh, you listen to Two Guys One Cup, and for anyone who's not an AFL fan, this might be a very niche reference, but I have been working on my David King. I love, Oh, yeah, like, I heard that, that earlier <laughs> today. <laughs> That's my... Like, I just love him. I I impersonate David King all the time. So for people who don't know, David King, uh, premiership player with North Melbourne, now a football analyst sort of known for stats. But what I love about Kingy is he's a big bloke and he has this gruff voice and he's very authoritative. But it's kind of this, he always seems to be exasperated. Like, everything's just kind of an issue. Yeah. I don't know what they're doing. (laughs) The boys have got to
1: get out there, you know? And I'm thinking, why aren't they doing it? Why?
0: Yeah, it's exactly, it's exactly right. Yeah. I'll tell you why. Yeah, it's lame, but it's an exas- exas- exasperation. In fact, I was talking to Broden uh, Kelly about it because he has uh, that great podcast, The Footy. Yeah, And um And we were just talking about Kingy and and we were sort of going back and forth about like a, how do you do a Kingy because he'd sort of done one on his show and and I'd done one on Two Guys One Cup and then I was riding my bike home from like the the supermarket And the wind was rushing in and it was making my mouth and my throat quite dry. And in that moment, (laughs) I started doing hengi. And I was like, oh, that's what it is. It's at the back of your throat. You don't quite use... That, uh, it's, it's just a, it's yeah, just, yeah, it's just here, but it's just a tip. It's weird. it's kind of where your throat it's your tongue. So you put it right back there, and then you just... this has turned this has turned <coughs> into the
1: trip, you know, just <laughs> us doing rivaling David King impressions. So, well, I you like asked, that though? David anyone... the King
0: story. It'll but, be good. I, I like I, I, if the twelfth man was still a thing. Like if you know, if I was going to write like a, a like an hour long sketch set in the world of footy media, then I'd want to play David King. But there's no one else that I've thought. Um, you know, like, oh, like there's especially no one from like Australian like politics or sport and things that I'm like, I could definitely do that. I mean, I think that's one thing I really admire about. I don't, I think as an actor, I'm good at playing Charlie Clawson. I think that's my mm. bread and butter yeah. variations on who I am. That's that, that, you know, that's about the extent of my range. I think that's what m- most people do right? Like, I think like that's... Well, I was going to ask you that because I, I've had mates who have, have played real life people before. And the thing I always hear is I didn't want to do an impression. Like I, I, I wasn't interested in sort of like doing an impression of that person, but I wanted to have a few things that were like, oh, you know, I've watched hours and hours of tape and they, and they had this kind of physical tick or a, a, a intonation in their voice. Was there something about War that you picked up on
1: I think it's it's an interesting point that they're making that they don't just want to do an impersonation they don't want to just kind of have this surface level thing and that's where just sort of picking up idiosyncrasies and vocal patterns and, and movements that's kind of what that is right like if you're just copying what they're doing then that that is an, that is an impersonation and there's nothing wrong with that, but I think like the hard part to get is yeah, this is going to get into actory zone, but it's like what, the, like core energy. So like all that stuff on top of it, you definitely need to to make it sound and look right and feel right. But then it's that thing of like, you, just that kind of like core energy. And so for Warnie, it's like, that's so much bigger and like more magnetic than any, than I've ever been, you know? So like w- with Assange, it was really kind of, you know, he had a r- real stillness and intensity and, and a quietness and an intelligence sort of behind the eyes, and that's something that I thought I could I could do. But then when you have well, someone are you who's fake like, the
0: intelligence, how are you going to pull that off?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just don't blink, basically. No, um,
0: I really. No, you know, you've got every take. <laughs> There's yeah. an intelligence behind my eyes.
1: <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. Like yeah, you know no. what your strengths are as a performer, and 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 then but then playing someone like warning where you know like going too far as well with with the accent because you can't can't get away from it you watch him you hear him all summer um you've grown up with him and everyone has so then you know if if the vowel sounds don't sound like his vowel sounds then it, it people will be like oh that's not it you know that that's not it but if you actually copy you know what he sounds like sometimes people are like is he doing a Kath and Kim person? You know what I mean? Like it's so, so it's like, you have to go to that place like all the way there and then try and pull it back for screen so that it, it's believable, you know?
0: Yeah. It's funny. Cause I, like there are some, you know, there are some um, uh, performances where you, you know, where the, uh, an, an actor will look nothing like the person. Like I remember it was Michelle um, from Dawson's Creek, uh, Michelle, you know, <laughs> What's her name? The blonde actress, Michelle Williams, played Marilyn Monroe. And like, I don't think she actually looks anything like Marilyn, but she just nailed the energy of Marilyn, like the persona of Marilyn Monroe, the kind of what we saw in the public. And after um, that Beatles documentary, uh, Get Back, I got, I went to this uh, Beatles rabbit hole and I tracked down this uh, made for TV film. Like, I think it was from the late 90s or early 2000s. I can't even remember what it was called, but it was based on a, a play, I believe, which imagined this fictional meeting between John Lennon and Paul McCartney, like 10 years after the Beatles had broken up and just before John was killed. And it was just this kind of, you know, it's like a play. It's it's uh, the, the Lennon and McCartney working out their differences and, you know, fighting and, you know, had a very very much felt like a, a stage show. But they made it to a telly movie and they cast. Two actors in the lead role who look nothing like Lennon or McCartney. Two, probably two of the most famous people in the world, or famous rock stars, at least. I think Aidan Quinn played Paul McCartney, and um, the dude from Chernobyl played uh, Lennon. But they just nailed the energy, you know, that presence you're talking about of each of those guys. And and after like twenty minutes, you just sort of forgot because they just had they just had something intangible about those two very famous people.
1: Yeah. It's inter- like, I think that, that kind of, when you, when you kind of achieve that, um, suspension of disbelief with people, they start to just kind of go, oh, this is the world now, you know? And that's why it's, you know, kind of really interesting when biopics put like archival footage in to the pic, because it's cutting between you. And that person, and it's, you know, it's pretty, sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not obvious, depends on, you know, how much money's in it and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that that stuff's out of your control though. Like you you can't do anything about it. So you, basically I just kind of focused on getting it right. The hardest part was there was just so much, like with everyone else I've played, there's a limited amount and you can hone in on that stuff and you can really distill it down and you get an idea of their energy. With Warn, it was like, you know, you got 25 years of or more of media and interviews and everything and being in the public and just just books written about him, books he's written, podcasts. Like I listened and watched to everything um, on repeat plus the bowling. Like there was so much that to distill it down to like one voice or one, you know, idiocy, like you had to distill it down to eras. Yeah. So like I distilled it down to six different eras because his voice changed from when he was 21 to when he was 45.
0: It's like the Michael Caine thing, right? It's like Michael Caine when he was
1: in yeah, Alfie, yeah. with his voice and then, here, and then, and he was then... Much, no, no, no,
0: Master Wayne. <laughs> yeah. 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 Did you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I remember you saying to me too when you got the part that you had recognised in researching for the auditions and stuff that you and Warney had a lot of physical similarities. Is that right? Like the sort of sci- you're the same height and stuff. I remember you sort of saying that there's some things yeah, that you I mean, picked we- up on that you were like, oh, this is. It, it, it felt uncanny to you that there was all these, like, similarities. Yeah, I wouldn't say that it was, like, immediately,
1: like, oh, I, I've always looked like him and people always tell me I look like him. I get told tr- I look like so many people. Right. It's It's crazy. Handy for an actor. Um, it's, well, well, it's handy for biopics, apparently. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> for, for niche acting. <laughs> yeah, but basically, like, when it came up, I was, like, I looked at his height you know, he, he says he's, you know, six foot, he's 5'10", oh, like yeah. everyone is 5'10". <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. So do I. <laughs> and centimetres. So like, oh, it's actually Yeah, yeah so when it says six foot, I was like, yeah, so he's 5'10". He's my height. Um, but, you know, like once I started, did the first audition and realised, oh, like if I just extend my eyebrows out and, and stuff like that, then I really can create that face shape a little more. And then I started, you know, putting on the weight and doing all that stuff once I got the job. But I was like eye color, you know, he has two different colored eyes as well. Um, he has a green eye and a blue eye, which you can see in the docker. I've got one lens in the whole time. But, yeah, I just kind of felt like skin tone, even hair like, you know, I've had kind of blonde um, hair that's, you know, quite far back, have like got a big forehead sort of thing. How frosted did you go in your real life? Oh, like what's the most frost? Oh, I reckon when I was 17 it was pretty. And you're from WA
0: as well, so I mean. And it was surfy (laughs) as
1: well, so it was like salt, you know, spraying lemon. Yeah, exactly. And then you just shells. Just (laughs) shells. But I saw it and I was like, you do kind of think, oh, who else is going to, you know, who else has got all of that plus knows how to play cricket and do all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, uh, like Annie's going to be as passionate about it. So yeah, man, like when I saw it, I was, I sur- definitely circled it and was like, I, I know this world and I know him and that voice. And yeah, I just felt like I could do it.
0: And is there something like, cause when I first saw uh, the first like uh, publicity still of you in the full cricket gear with the lip, you know, the zinc on the lip and stuff, I was like, it took me like a back. I was like, holy fuck. Like I knew that you were playing the part, but it, it just seemed to be there. Like it was so- So when
1: I told you, when I told
0: you, you, you were just like, no way. <laughs> oh, I thought you could do it, but I didn't think I was going to- When I saw you, I thought that, because I know you so well, it's going to be hard for me. I mean, I had this problem with a lot of my friends when they- you know, take on roles. It's like, I know them. I, I'm not buying that they're a, that they're a cream or a hitman or whatever, because they're a friend of mine. <laughs> so it's especially hard when it's like, oh, they're playing one of the most famous like athletes in Australian history. But then I saw that photo. And like I said to you on TOFOP, like Jen was, thought it was Shane Warne. And I was like, no, that's Alex. And it was like, I was going to ask you when you put on, you know, your wardrobe for the first time and it was the right, you know, it was everything and you had your makeup done and your hair, and you looked in the mirror, did that help? Did you actually sort of start to think? Because sometimes I know for me that works And I put the, the wardrobe on, you know, you put that police uniform on, all of a sudden, you you know, the way you hold your weight and your body changes, you know, I'm hooking my hands into my gun belt, all that kind of stuff. Did that happen with the cricket outfit?
1: Yeah, it, it did big time. Like, and that that's oh, – I've always felt like that. Like, costume for me is – I've always found really important. Like, even when I was doing Home and Away, you know, earlier in that year, you know, they sort of throw on, you know, the villain costume that another guy had two years ago when you got your plaid and, you know, <laughs> Just, whatever. You yeah, look and, at and,
0: the, the tag on the back of the yeah, screen and it's like out and Jake bad sharp. guy. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: um, and and so, but I, even with that, I was really kind of forthright about what I wanted and how it wanted to look, which, you know, on a on a show with such quick turnaround, it's not, that they don't have the budget or the time for that really. But it is important to me. So when I put on like, the the whites um, in particular, and I had like that hair piece in, and the lens. Like we worked really hard on making sure the lens wasn't going to look, you know, mental. Um, and it looks <laughs> yeah. really good in the show because sometimes you know they'd sit on top and you look like a lizard person. So yeah, one uh, one like iris is slightly yeah larger one than the other. <laughs> well, that was a lot of it. Like I I kept kind of going back and checking the monitor, and like if I had a quick eye movement, I'd check it to see if it was, like, dragging or anything like that because, you know, you have to make sure it's hydrated.
0: (laughs) Shane Wan's got a lazy eye. I never
1: knew that. Yeah. He's got three (laughs) eyes apparently. Um, But, yeah, like, once I put on the stuff and, you know, was bowling with with the coaches and all that kind of stuff uh, and, like, the, the like, mid to late 2000s gear, I was like, oh, this is crazy because the early stuff – I was like, this is great, the Oakleys, blah, blah, blah. The cricket gear, yeah, we're we're looking good. But it was only once we hit that late stuff with Liz Hurley and they actually cut my hair and re. And it's when he's a bit older. And I was like, I think that that look is actually the most similar to him and it kind of freaked me out a little bit. And that was at the end of the shoot as well.
0: Did you have much fake tan on at that stage? Was it like? Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, like a lot. I actually just uh finished a job yesterday and uh, uh I I uh it was a it was a it was sex scene that I had to film and um mm. so mm. I had been preparing for about I had a good thing to do. I had a good, le- yeah. had a good lean, a lead in time uh, of about 6 or 8 weeks. I was like, well I need to stop eating whatever I'm eating because I was in a good I was in a no pun intended I was in a good wicket. <laughs> I'd been, I'd just been doing a lot of like eating after 9 p.m. and eating whatever I wanted. And so I, um, I was like, all right, well, I need to just get that shit out and need to start exercising again. So I was feeling pretty good about myself. I'd lost a bit of weight, was looking okay. Um, but then when, uh, i had planned, I had planned on getting a spray tan before I went down. 'Cause I hadn't I wasn't sure we'd had a did, couple Did of, they organize that for you? Like
1: or no, you No, you no, just no, do, no. No, well that. we'd
0: we'd had a couple of discussions, like an intimacy coordinator and you know, said so but mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. a bit unclear about what was actually gonna get seen. So I was like, Well, I just will Cover all my bases and just make sure that I look <laughs> as good as possible from as many different angles. Is that as what as you possible. said to the spray tan person? Were you like, "I'd like my bases covered, please"? But I was in a writer's room for like three days last week, and when you're and, and that you just get so distracted, and I completely forgot about every other ob- obligation I had during the week, and it got to like Friday afternoon. It's like, oh fuck! Like I'm flying on Sunday, I forgot to book my <laughs> yeah. spray tan, and I was ringing around like Byron Bay. And weekend is the worst time because every wedding under the sun, like people are getting spray tanned. But then when I get to um, uh, when I fly down to Sydney for for the shoot, I get to makeup and I said, "Oh, look, I had intended, um, but I didn't have time." Do you know what we're shooting? And they said, "Oh, we think it's just going to be like you know." waist up like just chest basically so you don't have to worry about it <laughs> my big concern was like massive white ass like tan lines you know <laughs> just looking like a caramel swirl ice cream and actually it was Gemma brought it up Gem, I i had not thought of it Gem was like you have the whitest ass going around like you know under the under film lights that thing's gonna glow like a beacon yeah like, you want to yeah. put some tan on that it's but like I get a flecky charlie can you yeah. come over here <laughs> charlie, can you just drop your pants so i can bounce on yeah, exactly perfect um, so they just did like a quick kind of whatever like just a fake tan with a glove you know not a spray tan and i gotta say man i was I like, like the like, rub, rub one the rub, yeah, one, the rub just, one yeah i fucking looked like 20 times better <laughs> like i was looking at myself every time i caught my reflection i'm like i look really healthy and it's like this is a lie. This is just like I'm I just a, like a shade or two darker, but it's just something about that fake tan, which you're like, oh yeah. I don't know if we have unwired the uh, uh, this the natural connection with like health and vitality. When in actual fact, it's probably much, especially in this country, much worse for you to be tan. Oh yeah, than not. Yeah, big time. It
1: was funny. We like they weren't sure how much tan we were going to go with early, and then like once we. Got going and saw it. We were like, "Yeah, no, keep 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 that up and keep it going, especially later on." And once we got to sort of stage four tanning, you know, at at the end when he's with Liz Hurley and it's like white teeth and the, 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 the uh you know, like I do remember kind of looking at myself in the mirror and kind of going like, "Man, something I should I do. Know, this you know." <laughs> it's and it's I like, yeah, "Here we go, here we go." And I was like, you know, like I'd, I'd put on weight and so I wasn't feeling great about you know myself. Anyway, but I was like, "eh."
0: With a bit of tan, you can cover up a fair bit. What's and so what was the fastest way to put on weight? What was your go-to?
1: Guinness and donuts, right? And pretty are you much, fond of the, of, uh, like, oh, and of like those just things? just or, well, I'm not a big, like I'm not a big eater. I've I've never been a like a, right. a massive eater. Like I don't eat a lot. Um. Well, until this, and then I was basically just like everything I ordered or or made, I just ate two of.
0: And, and so, and, how did you know? Like, where to stop? Like, how do you control that? You know, I mean, people lose weight. That makes sense. I want to get down to this amount or, or whatever. But then, like, are you just doing an eye test in the mirror where you're like, okay, this feels like him? Or did you have a, like, a was an yeah, actual Yeah, I had like number? a goal weight. Okay.
1: Basically, a goal weight. And because I knew I had to do all the young stuff at the beginning. And then at the end, he, you know, he, he slimmed down. So, I knew I needed to create, like, a body that could do both. So it could like, and so I worked with the costume to go like, you know, with with this era, I want things to be kind of tighter, so it looks, um, so it looks, so he looks fitter, and and like he's been in the gym and all that kind
0: of stuff. So did you go chronologically then? So you went younger. We didn't heavier. shoot chronologically. No, you didn't. But oh, you but shot all over the, the
1: place, right? Yeah, we shot all over the place. But the Liz Hurley stuff. Was all at the end because it required a, a haircut and a complete different look, and that was like the last three days we shot all of that. So I knew that that's when I needed to have like tape it off and be kind of stop eating. feeling okay. So <laughs> so I just started. I just like
0: <laughs> what? Well, I stop eating. Like you just had to like
1: you literally. Well, have- yeah, I just you know go and started you know uh, like it just worked out kind of fine and I started dropping a little bit of weight but at the start it was kind of you know there, there was a plot line around the fact that his that his mother said you know y- you look overweight you need to drop some weight here take this pill you know so you know I knew I needed to have my shirt off and if I you know had abs which I didn't anyway but <laughs> if I had abs I'd be like if I watch that show yeah. and the, the mum is like oh You've got to lose weight and there's like ripped Shane Warne sitting on the thing. I'd be like, oh, this is taking me out of it. You know, it doesn't make any
0: sense. It's funny how that happens, isn't it? Like anytime I see a historical drama where someone has a six-pack, I'm like – Sean Connery didn't have a six pack. Like, just look at Humphrey Bogart didn't have a six pack. Like, it's there, there's that. But thing. also,
1: all these like office workers who are, you know, have yeah, these like stressful normal. lawyer jobs, oh, and yeah. they're all
0: jacked. jacked. I'm like yeah. as if. I know. When I got to home in a way, though, I thought, well, I'm I'm a high school teacher. There's no way a high school teacher is going to be ripped. Cut to like two years later, yeah. I'm fucking yeah. working out as much as I can. It's amazing yeah. when you surround yourself with a bunch of young, fit people. What that does to your own self esteem.
1: Yes, Home and Away was not good for my self-esteem. Just, you know. Like, <laughs> Too many
0: young, good-looking people. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's just full on. No tan for me on that show. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing I wanted to ask is you mentioned before about you took spin lessons. What- bowling lessons, yeah. Yeah, sorry, spin bowling lessons. So what level of cricketer were you going into this? Like had you played amateurs or schoolboy cricket or what was your...?
1: No, so I like I grew up playing basketball and uh, tennis, basically. Um, but you know, a very sporty There's a family. Cash
0: biopic on the works. Like a, I was thinking I more like
1: Hewitt, but yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, okay, we can sure. get paid cash. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I can do these anyway. Um, yeah, but like my dad was an athlete, you know, when he was growing up, and and then and I was just really sporty basically growing up. So we played and I had two brothers. We just played in the backyard and like down at the nets, but I wasn't like good. Um, and then about three or four years ago, I made it, we were at like Belvoir after a show and a mate of mine was like, oh, do you play cricket? And I was like, mm, I I can play cricket. You know, I can play anything kind of thing. And he was like, we really need an extra tomorrow. Like you can just field it does like, and I was like, yeah all right i'll come along anyway i went and they were you know after i was fielding good at fielding good at catching good at throwing can do all that stuff and then after a while they were like have a bowl and i was like oh i don't know and then i they were like yeah yeah have a bowl and so i had a bowl and man uh, like and the so first what were you bowling spin or pace or no nah, just just like doblers you know okay. just kind of medium pace you know what yeah. i thought was medium pace and first ball was like, I've dragged it down off the pitch, you know, like it's nowhere near it. And I've gone, oh, no, because I also know like cricket, like a, a lot of sports is like, it's all confidence. So if you did the first one, the second, anyway, it, it did not go well. But problematically, I'm a super, super competitive person. So I then took up cricket for the next three or four years and I've been yeah playing right since because I'm, I'm just sort of wired like, that and then when this role came up i was like i don't bowl leg spin because leg spin's the hardest thing to do in cricket like it's there was a reason no one did it for 50 years until shane Warren kind of brought it back into vogue it's because it's really hard to land it in the right place and if you get it wrong you get really punished for it um because it's you know it's slow and if you're not turning it either um yeah just so no one bowled it basically until until shane brought it back um, well, no one in Australia especially because it was just all about, you know, how fast you can bowl. Um, so, yeah, and then, but then I, you know, as soon as I got the audition, I was just like I'm just not putting a cricket ball down, you know, until this show's over. Um, and so I just bowled every day, twice a day. And then I had Stephen O'Keefe up in Sydney help me out. And then once I got down there, I had Bryce McGain who'd trained with Shane Warren and, and TJ. So I had heaps of like, you know, heaps of help in that last sort of six to eight weeks, but you know, like a massive
0: crash course, super tech, like super technical.
1: Um, what
0: was your, what was the, what's the best delivery you've bowled in your preparation? Like in all your practice and, and training, you must've had one, like I don't know, was it, did a flipper come off? or was a leg break or something <laughs> like, what was your well, best the- delivery? One that everyone was like, "Holy fuck!"
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, there was one where, like, it was just me and Bryce bowling. Basically, you know, it's a, an Australian production. It was good fun, but we had like, you know, the production offices are always in these sort of like derelict building. Yeah, you know, when right. they set they, something up for it's a bit like and then they, they just over like some
0: condemned building and
1: yeah, and it was in like um, Footscray, and I was like, okay, great. But out, and I was like, I need somewhere to train, and I thought that they'd, you know, hire me. Mean, yeah, but what they did was they set up AstroTurf in the car park, and then this ball. Bomb- anyway, uh, but it was it was fine. It was enough to work with because um, it was all about sort of the run up and 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 the, the trigger action and front arm and all that kind of stuff and release point. Not so much about where the ball went, but I really wanted to get that right. And I remember uh, on basically my third training session with Bryce, my, the, like the spin finger started ripping um, because I was you know you're, you're basically ripping across the seam and hitting this this one part of your finger which is actually where the ball spins from um, there sorry. and so
0: the, so is it is the motion like a snapping motion across that middle finger? Is that what you're doing?
1: So basically like, here we go. Oh, this is, know, great, this for is really great for podcasting. for audio but, podcast. But, but, but basically it's like your, your leg break, which is your normal stock ball, is coming out of the back of your hand and the, your third finger is the one that is spinning the ball. So, so the your middle one next finger. to your pinky. No. Oh, no, your ring finger. Yeah, your ring finger is the one right. that's spinning nice. the ball. And
0: that's the, that's the hardest one because that's the finger you have the least control over.
1: Yeah, kind of. It's it's biz- it's a bizarre action. And then the flipper actually comes out the front of the hand, which is why it's even harder to sort of execute. There's no way I was going to get a flipper right. Um, but yeah, like it was fun to learn all that stuff and to kind of get it going. And then I had one ball, I remember, where I just hit it and it fucking ripped. And I was like, oh. And Bryce was up the other end and he was just kind of like, Oh, yeah, right! <laughs> you know, like he was like that. Would that fucking moved, man? And I was like, oh yeah, this is cool. I can see how this is cool.
0: And so, has it? Did it reawaken any kind of particular fascination or love in cricket? Or is it one of those things where, like, when you work at like a, a bagel shop, you don't want to eat bagels? Have you had to sort of get because the ashes are on at the moment? So, you've, have you been way into that, or have you needed some separation? No, I lo- like
1: I love watching cricket. I've always loved watching cricket. You know, like big bash and ashes. I was super excited for anyway. Um, so no, like I I'm, I'm still watching a lot of cricket. I don't really want to play anymore. Um, mainly because I will get sledged um <laughs> oh, to, yeah, there's to no end.
0: Yeah. it's already bad to...
1: it's already kind of bad enough. And then like if they you know, of course they're probably gonna um, you know, go like, I don't want that guy looks a little familiar and then it's just on, you know. And I'm just not good enough. You know, if
0: I was if I was good enough, I'd be all right with it. But I'm not. So but I've taken up golf. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you so you love games that are incredibly frustrating, <laughs> like all confidence games. I mean, because I, I grew up, I reckon when I was a kid, cricket was my number one sport. Like I worshipped really? Alan Border, yeah. And I was actually, oh, yeah. And I was actually, I mean, I was not an athlete at all. But the sport I was better at was cricket. Like I captained like you know schoolboy teams right through you know to year nine and ten. I was a batsman, but my problem, and this is this has been a recurring problem for me as a natural lefty, there's a lot of people who have taught me things over the years have taught me as a right-hander. So if it's a two-handed sport like baseball or cricket, I bat like a right-hander. So I don't have my dominant arm at the back, which some people say is an advantage, Like that's your power swinging arm when you're batting. So I bat like a right-hander. You, you were batting left-handed no, but I'm you am a, a i No, I'm a left-hander. I'm left-handed but I bat like a right-hander. So, oh, so you, but, I... you bat right-handed? I bat right-handed. So if it's a two-handed yeah. sport like baseball, I'll play like a, a right-hander. But cricket, if I'm batting, like a left-hander. Golf, like a left-hander. And I think that has robbed me oh. of better results. All the advantages in- of being a left-hander. <laughs> it's like the best thing in sport. I know because people – I think there's a, I think there's a couple of assumptions which was that I was just taught by people who assumed because, you know, more people are right-handed. So as a junior, I'd just be taught – and I just – Monkey see, monkey do. I Go saw people that. batting yeah. like that, so I just so I started batting. And then by the time I realized that I was a left hand, it was too late. <laughs> so even now, like I don't play guitar, but I sh- I, I fool around. But I'll play guitar like a right handed person. Right-handed. And I've always wondered, like having my left hand on the fret feels like I have more control. And I it would feel bizarre for me to to switch it up and play like a left hander. I'm like, oh my right, my less dominant hand shouldn't be like you know. Making all the chords. Yeah. So, did you reckon you lost like a lot of dexterity
1: and that like real um, fine motor skills in your left hand because you were doing
0: everything right handed? Well, only two handed sports right hand. So, if I was playing tennis or squash, that would be left. But if I was if I have to hold something with both hands, I'm right. Does that make? Do you understand? What happens when it's a two handed backhand? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd play that. The, the two handed backhand would be left. Yeah. Left. Yeah. Have to be. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, bizarre. Yeah, but I, I don't think that's uncommon. I think there was actually – there was a, a, a cricketer who played – who was a left-handed bowler but a right-handed batsman. I can't remember who.
1: You get a lot of people who write right-handed and play soccer left – like have a left boot, you know, like and same with AFL. But but to be – yeah, that's that's bizarre to me. Interesting.
0: Yeah. But it, I I used to th- – like I don't think I would – I had terrible footwork. I've, I'm really lead, lead-footed. I was just kind of – What I was good at was I just was hard to get out. (laughs) Like I wasn't a rapid, like a run maker, but I just kind of, I was very patient. I wasn't overly intimidated by like pace attacks or whatever, but I would just stay in. And I think it, you know, in junior cricket, you have to retire at 30 or 50 or something like that. They don't let you bat for too long. Um, But then I sort of fell out of love with cricket. I think footy sort of took over and it's only now I just started watching the Ashes. Like I just started watching, I watched like, you know, day one of the Ashes and I'm like, I don't know who any of these players are anymore. But now I'm hooked. I actually have it on while we're talking. I've got it on in the background. It's
1: a really interesting time to get into test cricket as far as like, you know, it, the format is dying with the IPL and and internationally things are going it's, it's really interesting and the way that England are playing with this bazball thing is kind of like a revolution
0: so explain to me ba- what is Ball. i've seen that because i've read a few articles you know in the last couple of days i don't know what it refers to what is Ball? So, oh
1: god um so Ball is basically like test Test match cricket in the way that you will have watched it back when you were a kid is very slow and defensive and then you wait for – you you, you block, you leave, you wait for the bad ball, you dispose of that for a two or a four or one or whatever and you get off strike. You build an inning slowly and deliberately and don't give the bowlers a lot of chances to get rid of you. you don't play any flare, flary shots. You leave all that stuff to you know T20 and one-day stuff. So basically what happened was – England play like that, India play like that, Australia play like that, everyone plays like that. Then when T20 cricket came in, all of these cricketers ended up with these incredible skill sets where they would play these really flary shots and got really accurate with these kind of flary reverse ramps, um, you know, switch switch hits and all these kind of things. And basically what happened is they got so good at that and, and England were very – they were in trouble. Like they, they weren't playing well. They got smashed out here and they had, but had a new coach come in, um, Brendan McClellan. I'm going to get that wrong, but that, you know, he was, I think he's a Kiwi anyway, geez, the facts here could be off, but anyway, he came in and just sort of said, look, just play as aggressively as possible. Just belt everything. If these boys are going to bowl at you, Line and length, then it, they're predictable. You, you're going to know where they're going to bowl at every time, and you can advance down to them. You can lean back. You can do what Root was doing the other day, which is like reverse scooping. Yeah, that like, was crazy. You know, the first ball of a you yeah. know of a session, which is just like the cardinal sin in 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 Test match cricket. But they've won 11 of the last 13 matches, and it's really fun to watch. So instead of a Test match going for five days and being a draw, they're like. We don't want it to be a draw. We're going to either win or we're going to lose. But we're going to do it like with this passion. So it's it's like and and with the
0: sort of In AFL parlance, they're playing like Collingwood. It's just that kind well, of play like Richmond on Richmond in, like, Yeah, 2016, 2017. Well, it's playing yeah. at all costs, play it's play with flair, yeah. you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, exactly. But that but that kind of is the antithesis of English stuck in the mud, no, we can't do that sort of, you know, just play as forward defence and then knock them around a bit. You know, so it's kind of this really, it's reinvigorated English cricket and world cricket because if they beat Australia, who's just won the World Test Championship playing the old way, then India's going to do it. We're going to do it. They're going to do it. Everyone's going to do it. It's going to change the game of Test Match Cricket, which is sort of stuck in the mud. Mm. So it's, it's a really interesting time. Like it's kind of. But why is it called, why, what's the Baz referred to? So Baz is just the nickname of the coach. That came okay, in right, and implemented right. this. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. So one yeah. guy has, has potentially revolutionised test cricket. It's it's actually
1: stunning that it's working as well. You know, because um, there's always that thing of like, oh, they did it to, you know, they did it to West Indies or they did it to them, but they're not going to do it against Australia. And they are. I guess you know,
0: I guess the thing about no matter what the sport is, that idea of playing aggressively on the front foot, you know, uh, playing with flair and stuff. The question is always how how sustainable is it? Because, like, ultimately, like most sports involve tactics, you know, if it's a multi-day contest, then, you know, it's even even more important there to, you know, keep your powder dry, not put everything up front. But then again, like, athletes are getting so good, you know, and the fitness levels and endurance levels and the skill levels and what – you know, generations of players are able to do. Maybe that is where test cricket needs to go. Like if they can sustain it, but I guess that's the question, right? 11 out of 13 games so far.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's kind of what everyone is saying. They're like, you know, they're not going to be able to sustain it. They're not going to be able to do it against, you know, the best pace attack, you know, in the, in the world. But Brendan McCullen has has basically imbued them with, yeah, you can. Like, why not? You guys are the best batters in the world. Um, you're you're playing all these other formats. You've won all these other trophies. Why not? Why not play like that? I mean, you know, it could blow up in their face. But either way, the product has changed. You know, like either way, people are excited. So, does it matter if they if they lose or they win? It's, if it's interesting, you know, at the end of the day, like Test match cricket isn't the doesn't kind of have the same spot in people's hearts that it used to. So
0: they need to change it. Well, that's the. The other thing I had forgotten about, you know, watching Test Match Cricket is it's – like at first I was like, oh, I don't have fucking time for this. <laughs> this is like hours <laughs> and hours. Yeah. But there's something about it which is quite – you know, maybe it's because I grew up with it. Like when I, I've started to kind of like feel some things that I haven't felt in a long time and there is a – I don't know if the, if hypnotic is the right term, but there is a kind of like soothing quality – the test match cricket where you can actually be doing a lot of other things while it's on oh, because you only really need to tune in when you know there's been an appeal or whatever and I don't know I've, I've found it quite addictive like especially being away from home on this shoot like I just that's what was sort of keeping me grounded was like oh well I'll just go home and the cricket was you know that, that that's going to be my bit of familiarity
1: yeah, I like I remember, grow, yeah, I grew up with Test Match Cricket. It's like the sound of summer for so many yeah. people. And just that like, just that sort of pitter-patter of kukunk, Ball hitting turf, ball hitting bat, ball hitting pad, ball hitting wickets, ball hitting the the, the gloves, the keeper's gloves, you know, and then you know a, a piffy comment, you know, maybe or statistics or this, just these sort of sounds that we get so used to, you know, like the old ABC intro music, just that stuff that kind of it is it's hypnotic in a way, and then when you kind of have that back, it's really it's kind of nice. It kind of reminds me of my. You know, childhood as well. But I, you know, I like T Twenty cricket as well. You know, it's it's good fun. But there is something kind of really relaxing about watching Test match
0: cricket. Um, you know, not not for people that you live with that that well, don't like it. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what you know. Jem was like, "Hang on, since when have you watched cricket?" And I'm like, "Oh, I know. I said I just." I was talking, Will's doing a new show and and I wanted to sort of like start watching it and I just dipped my toe, but now it's like, oh, I was even showing it to Iona tonight and she's like, oh, no, (laughs) what are you doing? And I was like, no, she's interested. She's just interested. She saw that bluey episode, now she wants to know. That that whole thing about the Ashes being this kind of like, um, you know, security blanket or this comforting, you know, kind of background sounds of summer. The one thing I have really noticed in, you know, watching the Ashes and then reading a lot of, you know, columns about it the next day or whatever is i feel like test cricket exists purely so sports journalists (laughs) can opine like because it's it's a it is a it's the beautiful part about sport where we get to read or in imbue things with meaning and be quite lyrical like i think there's a lot of room within the watching of cricket to i don't know what the word is but it's kind of like illustrate or color between the lines like because not a lot happens, and so the commentators will often talk about, you know, the batsman's history or history between the two sides, or you know, the psychological games that are going on, and it just it does expand the imagination. And so when you read these articles, they're always a lot of them. The time they're very eloquent. You know, and they really sort of like talk about like a slashing, you know, half century and yeah. all this kind of swashbuckling, you know, all this yeah. kind of stuff. Like there is this kind of sense of theatre, rather than and AFL sometimes,
1: which can just be, like, oh, he's bloody on, and you know, and he's gone to the whole bloody, and he's kicked it, you know. Like it, it does yeah. kind of feel, you know, there's a lot more thought, you know, that goes into thoughtful. Um, that's the that's the word I was looking what for. What was that? Yeah thoughtful yeah yeah and there's time this time i guess there's time to think about it time to write the articles but i think it's also just it it attracts a different type of um viewer and um probably journalist um and person to the game of cricket because it is it is kind of poetic in it's the the time it takes and the musings that can go on around it um but but then it also has this real kind of like side mouthy, you know, like Australian thing going on as well. So yeah, it, it I I really I really love, you know, um all forms of cricket. But test match cricket is it's like it's the one. It's the one we should hold on to.
0: Well as a kid, like as a teenager, we used to go to the G and we would do test crickets, you know, occasionally, especially in summer when, you know, you just want to be away from the house as long as you can. But it was the the day-night matches, they were the, you know, the, all the one days that were – that was the kind of – that was exciting. Like that was fun, especially kind of in an era of like Dean Jones, like yeah. someone who would just come out and just talk about their swashbuckling yeah. half It's like, they, you know, That's that was his, 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 his MO. But I do also remember it being more football-like in terms of the atmosphere, you know what I mean? Because it it, it is – it has more of that kind of like – spectacle quality it's less um, thoughtful I guess it's less kind of ponderous I
1: guess I guess the thing is with cricket is you know test match cricket is kind of legacy and it's for it's there for legacy and for everyone to sort of you know remember the old and the, there are lessons to be learnt from patience and taking your time and you know um, slowly to, you know kind of um, looking at your matchup and respecting your opponent rather than just like charging down the pitch and trying to smack everyone
0: out of the, you know, for six. Yeah. Like I think golf golf and cricket, you know, are very similar in the sense, like you were talking about the confidence in, in cricket. And I think that golf is similar where like I, I get so frustrated with golf because you can have a day where you're fucking hitting it beautifully and everything's coming. And then the next, you could play, or you could play like a game straight after that and it would be terrible and you have not changed your approach. Yeah. like for some reason, it's just like the the degrees that uh, can be off by like just the most minor adjustment, and your game falls to yeah, shit. Yeah, the
1: margin for error is tiny.
0: Yeah, I don't think I'm strong strong of mind enough to endure that. Like I, I, I doubt myself enough as it is. I don't need a like a, a recreation making me fucking go. Why can't I do this? Yeah, see, I didn't I didn't
1: play cricket, you know, growing up because of that reason. Because I was like, this is gonna take forever for a start. <clears throat> You know, <laughs> and, and then golf was the same, you know, like I just was like, oh, I can't, I can't be bothered. we gonna walk around. i got to walk. We're going to walk in sport. I'm yeah. just going to walk around and hit <laughs> yeah, yeah. a thing. And I just kind of didn't get it. And I, you know, I've loved basketball, loved tennis, love this sort of sort of what, you know, high octane kind of like fast moving, use your pace, use your strengths, blah, blah, blah kind of sports. But then, you know, as I've Accrued many, many injuries and all these other sorts of things. Now all of a sudden, I've, I've taken up golf. You know, this year, and you know, I'm really enjoying kind of the peacefulness of it, but also just like the precision of learning a new a, a new sport. And and then when you do get it right, like I hit my first birdie the other day, and I was like, I couldn't believe it. You know, the elation from that was amazing. Um, yeah, but you know. I can understand, like, why people, you know, I put golf on the other day. I was watching the PGA and uh, Indy, my partner, came in and she was like, no, you're not watching this as well, <laughs> no. you know, because, like, you know, every weekend she's like, oh, it's Thursday night footy back. I, you know, I'm trying to watch Succession. Yeah. I'm like, oh, there's nothing I can do, you know. Um, and so for me to, like, get into another sport, she's like, well, you know, what are you doing? Like, are
0: you trying to play a golfer now? Like, what is it? What are you doing? I mean, I think that might be part of the reason also that I didn't get back into cricket is like Gem is just not into sport; like she's just not interested. She'll she she will humour me, and you know she will show passion at the right times, you know, to to soothe my fragile ego when it comes to the Saints. But um, it's just not; she's not into it, and and so I think now though, you know, where the dynamic of the relationships changed, where it's just like more of a family, and, and there's things to do and. You know, she and Iona might go do stuff together and then I'll have time at home. It's like, okay, well, I'm gonna watch sport again. And like I think I don't know, I, I don't know that I have enough time to add more sports to this. Like I can't get back into NBA. Yeah. You know, I can't I watch like, a lot bring of NBA anymore. Too. I think I can have I can have one summer and one winter fling, but I can't do all of it. Like I, I don't know if I can do more. Like I, I listen to um, you know, Broden's podcast where they will talk a lot about the NBA yeah. in their football yeah. podcast. And I'm like, this is like Tom has a, a child. I don't know how he gets away with watching that much sport. Because well, the the NBA is also just like one of the
1: most drama packed leagues ever. And so people don't even, you know, I'm not sure how many games those two would even be have to be watching to know as much as they know. Like I watch a lot of NBA because I'm an actor. And you know, well, so so are they. But like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, ten o'clock when in the morning when it's on over here, you know, I can just chuck it on while I do other things um but there's you know there's so much drum and so much of it you know they're playing 82 games a year um each team is playing 82 games a year so there's no way you can keep up um but the great thing about the nba is just as a league you can follow the league and there's so much going on trade-wise and and star power and um <laughs> and also like the personalities in the nba are you know it's unmatched. It's unrivaled. You know what goes on on Twitter and the the confidence and the cockiness of the players. It's it's amazing. Um, so I get into that as well. Uh, you know what are you going to do?
0: And so I mean, you're clearly like a, a sports lover, and so coming into play, Shane Warren. Like I know you. It's not saying that you know you had all that kind of research or that that that, that that's fed into your performance. But do you think that? that gives you a, a, at least a kind of grounding in the world that you're about to enter. Like if you're, I don't know, you're an, a, an actor who like Gemma or India, it sounds like, you know, is not into sport, you know, you, 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 went to RADA, you know, and you've come out to play Shane Warne and you're really like, do you think that it would, do you think that gives you an advantage? Like the fact that you love sports so much, you seem to be literate in kind of different sort of sporting leagues and the cultures of different clubs and personalities and all that kind of stuff. Do you think that, was an advantage coming into something like Warney
1: yeah um, big time you know because the sound of it the feel of it you know the actions that people do what it looks like when you're moving a field just the, like the small things that take people who are cricket lovers out of that show you know like I, I'm like any sports fan who loves movies you you go and watch the movies and then if they the actors are terrible at the thing it's immediately clear. That like they just don't move like an athlete, or they just don't, you know. And so that stuff was really important <laughs> to me. Obviously, I'm I'm not an athlete, but like I play yeah. a lot of sport. Like I'm not a professional. I don't look like a professional. I don't train like a professional. But, you know, like just knowing, like, you know, even on set, kind of coming up and and they'll have like they had all these bats for all these different eras and stuff like that. But going like, oh, that's a Michael Clark bat, clearly from that sticker. And even if it's out of focus, I'll be able to tell because the only that um, brand that was around for, you know, a short period had that kind of shaped sticker. So just kind of going like, can we just move that out of shot, you know, like just the little things that, you know, m- maybe, uh, you know, n- not sports, you know, buff, wouldn't, you know, pick up. But also, yeah, like the sound of it, the, the, the feeling of it, the kind of the attitude of, you know, cricket at that time as well, and at like Australian masculinity at that time
0: and, and kind of mm. the nuance. Well, you would have been at the perfect age for that to make an impression, right? Mm. Like, you know, it, it, it's sort of you, you're a teenager to a young man in that period and so like that's when you're soaking up all these kind of subtle, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, nuances of the game and, of, like you say, the masculinity of the players because, you know, the Australian cricket team, it's funny, like, I feel like I've been in a coma for, I don't know, maybe like 25 years. <laughs> like I've just woken it. It up. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm watching, and because there's a bunch of like technological advancements that didn't happen last time I watched Test Cricket, like, you know, that LBW, the predicted ball thingy, whatever that is, and the sticker meters come a long way. And even like the microphones that they put in the wicket, like they're so clear now that you can, during like a, a spin you can hear everything that's going on, and this is all like new to me. I'm like, what well, this caveman has been defrosted? And yeah. like, Whoa. all of a sudden they're doing this like, sort this of like
1: T a- motion, and you're going like, what's that? And it's a, you know, it's a cap- what is
0: that? Oh, like, it's no a captain's challenge. Time- it's just like
1: in tennis where you can challenge the call, um, which is obviously needed in cricket.
0: Yeah, but it, but it, despite all those changes, like you just swap the baggy green and the whites for a generation, and the presence of the players is exactly the same. Like it's just they're interchangeable in a weird way. Like you always have, you know, um, you know, the sort of middle order batsman who's, you know, it's just like stodgy and hard to get out. There's like the enigmatic, there's the, you know, there's the, the, the fast bowler it just seems like a bit of a galoot, but you know, <laughs> that I'll have just every now and then, I'll just have like yeah. a pearl of a day. Like it's a just weird how this that bowls 150 archetypes. clicks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then you have your sort right. of middle
1: order, um, you know, pretty guy who's good at everything can bowl bat you know that was like shane watson and now is you know cam green you just yeah, it's like Wall you just have another that. one yeah, yeah you've got the brothers you know it's, it's funny someone yeah. asked me the other day they were like oh you know shane warren controversy all that kind of stuff you know if you know how do you think he would go now with you know how clean cut everyone is and stuff like that i was like well they would have grown up with a different a different time it's not going to change the fact that he can turn the ball it's just that people change and culture changes but i did have like a really good idea of you know that that time and and him kind of being between eras in, and in in the era where professionalism in sport went through the roof you know this was this, at the
0: same time that michael jordan was hitting his straps i remember as a kid Like when Shane Warne hit the scene and seeing like footage of him on the news at some Nike event and it's him standing next to Michael Jordan. And I remember me and my mates being – because we were obsessed with Michael Jordan and we are like, holy fuck, like that Australian – how does he get to stand so close to Michael Jordan? Like that was just – yeah.
1: It's pretty cool because – what, what happened was, I'm not sure if you saw that movie Air that came out recently, which was about Nike and the Michael Jordan deal. Uh, shoes. It's about yeah. shoes. Yeah. But basically after the success of that, they came to him in, I think it, w- it was 94, and then released a line of, they're called the Air Flippers in um in their cricket yeah. shoes. And the were 95, 96, yeah. I think were the first ones. I actually managed to track down a pair. So I bought a pair of those the other day, which is pretty cool because they're pretty hard to get. But um, yeah. So like, but that at that time, you know, still being kind of bleach blonde hair, earring, you know, arrogant or or whatever it was, you know, big party animal, and then being kind of plopped in as the young spinner in a, in a team of sort of traditionalists and hard nosed kind of guys from that previous generation. It would have been pretty interesting. He's sort of right in that middle point where it c- kind of. Could only really work there, you know. Like it wouldn't have. Been, like if you think about, you know, mid two thousands onwards, would they have just been going oh, your skin folds aren't good enough? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah it's that. I mean, they 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 did that sort of in the footy analogy of like, would Tony Lockett get a game today when you know forwards have to chase and stuff? Like, because he just that was not the player he was. He was an old school yeah. goal square gorilla. But it's funny
1: with with because his first love, as you would know, was was footy like he wanted to be a footballer and he talks about you know when that didn't happen for him he's like world just crumbled like he thought that was it he thought he was going to be a footballer and I remember like I think it was one of his books he says he he like kicked he was a full forward and he kicked like eight goals or ten goals in his last game and then they dropped him <laughs> and it's like so I guess that, that was the era but yeah like and then to then go to something else a different sport that he already played, and then become the best in the world at it. It's just like the mentality
0: yeah. is crazy. It's also just like a great – I love those stories. It's kind of like The Rock, you know. The Rock wanted to be a professional footballer. You know, he tried out for the NFL. He didn't get past He went to the Canadian Football League, then – it was like, well, maybe I'll just try out the family business and became <laughs> not only like one of the biggest professional wrestlers of all time but one of the biggest movie stars. But all those people are defined at first by a failure, you know, that they have plans or they're, 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 their career is going to be set a certain way and then they have to just kind of reinvent themselves. And it's almost like, you know, the, through the reinvention or the burning down of the old identity – like blossoms, Something that yeah. the green shoots come up, this yeah, is- which makes me think I should burn down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> here I am sitting in my mediocrity. <laughs> what do I need to burn? I, I'll burn. I'm happy to burn it down, Alex. Just tell me what I need. To, what seeds I need. The to plant. gym that
1: I've been sort of frequenting for the last six months to sort of lose the weight and whatnot. Yeah, has this giant. I, you know, I listen to a lot of um, your podcasts and Broden's podcast and everyone's podcast, and but there's this giant, like giant, like mural. It's just a photo, really, of the rock like in the gym and he's just like jacked and just staring straight forward and it's, it has some motivational quote that I've never read. But it, you, it's right where, you're do, where you can do, you know, pull-ups or where I do pull-ups. And so I'm doing pull-ups and the whole time like when you want to kind of, you know, you're like that'll do, you know, like and then you just yeah. have the rock staring into your soul the whole time. (laughs) So you're like, I guess I'll keep going and you've got the shakes but you're like, the rocks, he's going to get me. He's going to get me, man. Like he knows, he
0: knows. It's so funny, man. Like he is such a – like the thing I can't get over with him is just the the, the sincerity of him, you know. Like he does these Instagram posts where he'll just want to send a message out to everyone – to just say thanks because, you know, everything I do, I do for my fans. And I think he genuinely, there is not an ounce of cynicism. You know, he actualizes what he wants, but he'll just have a thought about something and then just like, like I just, you know, like anyone else, you're like how fucking pretentious this is. You think that the rock
1: kind of, there was a rockification of like celebrities at one point? Because I feel like, you know, growing up I was, you know, 90s, as a kid, it, the whole thing with celebrities was just like, you know, it was that, um, you know, like rocker kind of like, we don't give a shit what you think, we're this, like I don't need you, like I'm, I'm an artist, I'm this and that. And then the kind of, as you were saying, like that real sincere, like I'm just doing this for my fans but I'm really earnest but I mean it. You know, it's not fake, as you said, it's, it's real but it's so different to what I kind of
0: remember being cool. I think, well, I think it's social media is the difference because it used to be the only way we'd have access to celebrity was through publicists, you know, what they chose to release. And then social media comes in, Twitter and Instagram, and suddenly the celebrity has direct access to their fan base. And, like, I remember talking to a publicist at Channel 7 in, like, 2011 or 12, and her saying fucking social media, A, it's making my job obsolete. But also it's, it's it's huge danger because now you've got every half-baked thought that an actor wants to put out there that they can. And we only find out about it when the Daily Mail picks it up and, you know, blah, 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 and they have to do damage control. But I think-
1: And then that, you started a
0: podcast, you know, right?
1: <laughs> like, <no. laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. You're like, yeah, well, I'm not going to do it through me.
1: Instagram, but I am going
0: gonna... to. Yeah, I'm going to. What? What? What is? What is a medium yeah. that's going to feel outdated even when yeah. it's at the What's cutting edge? What's quicker than posting
1: that. on Instagram? I'm thinking like head to mouth, straight into the internet,
0: yeah, straight out into the ether. So, I think that is one part of it, but I also do think that it's a very American phenomenon about like. I mean, we saw it with Trump. You know, like celebrity can be weaponized over there, like can be monetized, definitely. Like you've noticed that when you're in LA, like every poster or billboard or whatever, there's someone of a varying level of fame somewhere selling you something. And it's just sort of not something we're used to here. We don't have the same celebrity culture. But over there, celebrities are worshipped and looked up to and, you know, there's this real sort of like um, uh, deference. And so when a Tom Cruise comes along, you know, and, you know, he just – for everything i've heard about working with tom cruise apparently he's a delight like he learns everyone's name he turns up on time he's the first one there the last one to leave he'll fucking you know remember birthdays he'll organize like it's he, he's a great guy clearly a fucking weirdo <laughs> like in his private life
1: have you have you listened to that podcast meeting tom cruise or, or working no. with tom it's basically a podcast about you know it's a couple of actors who have started a podcast And they love, one of them loves Tom Cruise. The other one's sort of indifferent about him. And they get on basically people who have worked with him. And the whole show is just like, how was the experience? And every single one, I'm not sure if they just want to keep working with him, but every single one has these crazy stories where he is always like really genuine and lovely and, you know, like paid for people to get their, you know, plane licenses. He's got this cake. Have you heard about the Tom Cruise cake? So he found this like coconut cream cake that he loved from this LA bakery (laughs) and it became his like Christmas cake. So if you were on the Christmas cake list, every single Christmas without fail, one of these Christmas cakes would rock up, these coconut cakes would rock up to your house and- it became he he was sending out so many of them by the end of it. I think that they closed the bakery in it. They just they just make that cake, you know, like com- like in kind of commercial massive um, portions because it's just the Tom Cruise thing that goes out. But he's got that thing where he just you know knows everyone's name, looks everyone dead in the eye, you know. Last time you met, last like stuff that I you know. I struggle to meet remember someone's name three minutes after I've just met them. I'm still panicking, going like, what was their name again? Like immediately gone. And yeah. so like, but for him, like it's just like the ultra professional. But yeah, it's a it's a good podcast. It's it's worth a listen because I had a th- you know, a feeling and a thought about Tom Cruise. And then that sort of changed my perspective on it as 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 well, just kind of going like, you know, I got I grew up in the 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 media kind of just going, Tom Cruise isn't mental. And he, you know, he probably is, but, you know, like wait till you find out yourself, I guess.
0: Yeah, he makes good movies. I'll tell you one Tom Cruise story that I've Oh, here we go. Uh, A a friend of a friend um, was apparently working with Tom and um, his family were coming to visit and Tom found out about that and said, would you like me to drop by your trailer and meet your family? And he's like, oh, absolutely. Like if it's not too much trouble and Tom's like, no, no, you know. And so, you know, the day arrived and the family's all there and Tom, Tom's assistant knocks on the door and Tom comes in and he's got, like, caps, you know, production caps for the kids and knows all their names and he's asking about so-and-so's baseball team and all this kind of stuff. Like, it's like someone's on background, you know, like, but amazing. And, yeah, and the kids loved it and, like, they were over the moon and got photos and everything and, and then he was gone. And about 20 minutes later... His, this, other, this actor, other actor's phone rings and it's Tom's assistant saying, hey, Tom thought that went really well. What did you think? And he's like, yeah. And the assistant's gone, would you like him to do it again? And he's like, what? And it's like, would you like him to come back and do it again? And he's like, well, if he wants to come back, he, he doesn't have to do that again. He's like, oh, no, Tom would like to come back. And he's like, well, yeah, sure, if he wants. And so Tom came back in and it was like round two of the same kind of thing. It wasn't exactly the same, but he was like high-fiving and telling anecdotes. It was just like... It was a performance. It was like, but I guess that's
1: the issue for me: is it when it feels so premeditated? Um, you know, and you meet people like that who you know they they clearly like have an agenda and you know want everyone to like them so much. I'm not saying that's what he's like, but you know, um, it, I don't know. It
0: just it ends up not being genuine, doesn't it? It strikes me as someone like I don't know where he is on the neurodiversity spectrum. But I feel like it is someone who is very good at observing human behavior but doesn't have an innate sense of social interactions and and social dynamics and stuff. can see it, is smart enough to know what it is and to do what they need to do. But whether or not like – because I think actors a lot of times are ciphers, you know, they're very good at being other people or, you know, recreating human emotions or the human experience – but often when you talk to them, it's like, oh, they're quite dull, or there's like a, there's a like a, uh, they're not necessarily they, they they're nothing like the sure, characters they play, sure. but they're really good observers of human behaviour, yeah. and so and I'm not this is not a judgment call on whether or not that's good or bad, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was just one of those kind of people, which is like you know he is extremely good at making people feel good about themselves and entertaining them like. You know, he's basically revived his career by endangering his life at every opportunity when he makes a film. And the dude is 60 plus. I mean, that's the thing that blows my mind is his grandfather age. Like I've got relatives who are younger than him that look 20 years older than him and it's just like it's it's just through force of
1: will. But surely your your sort of perception of other people would be Heavily distorted by being that famous, right? Like that—that has got it. That has got to, has oh, got yeah. to like really you can make a, you it. You could have a n- hard to observe other humans
0: properly, and and be good at your job. When, <laughs> but you can watch documentaries. You can watch, you know, like there's things you. do. Yeah, can but when do people do know they're, what, they're on camera, they're different. Humans. You
1: know, like that's that's kind of the.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's kind of
1: the hard thing, you know, that's kind of the hard thing. When-
0: Maybe he goes out in disguise. Like, I mean, he, come on, <laughs> oh, he knows he the best special is. effects guys in yeah. Hollywood. He goes out in that Tropic Thunder oh, suit, you know, Len Grossman, <laughs> It does a bit of observation. Yeah,
1: he does. Like, he it feels like he wants to die on set at this point, like, given some of those stunts. Like, why?
0: That vaguely threatening. It does, though. <laughs> no, you're right. Oh, you know what? And what a fucking better way to go out. Like, I mean, if you died in an explosion on Mission Impossible 8, then, I mean, it's better than fucking, like, getting cancer and wasting away in a hospital bed somewhere. It's like that old Bill Hicks bit. Do you want your grandmother to to die alone, or do you want her to meet Chuck Norris? <laughs> it's also kind of that
1: thing where he goes, well, it's the ultimate publicity stunt, you know, really. Um, yeah.
0: It's like- <laughs> Yeah, as long as you can sell a film yeah, off Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's like- you know, if if I was that that age and had that much money and and you know was where I'd I'd be doing like you know indies and trying to do, like I wouldn't be doing massive action films, but fuck, power to him, it, man! It's it's impressive.
0: Well, he's done all that though. Yeah, I guess I know, it's that's but- the new thing. Like he's done all that. he's won he's won has he won an Oscar? I don't know, but he's done like you know art house films. He's done big budget films. He's done everything. This seems like the natural next challenge is like how can I become a stuntman? How can I be? The world's highest paid stunt now. Yeah.
1: I don't really get it. I guess there's probably more risk in in doing, you know, hard emotional, you know, I- human insight roles than there is to playing an action star who runs straight.
0: Well, to be honest, like I saw that new Top Gun and, you know, he has his love interest with Jennifer Connolly and the scenes <gasps> where they were like kissing and shit. I'm like, yeah, get back to the action. <laughs> like, I don't like this. This this is the weird stuff. <laughs>
1: That sounds like a you think childish. a
0: second. <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> Get off bed. my screen. <laughs> Ugh. Well, you know who I definitely—you know—I definitely want on my screen is uh, Alex Williams in the mini series premiering this Sunday, June twenty-fifth, seven PM, and the conclusion is the following night, Monday, the twenty-sixth, at seven thirty PM on Channel Nine. And I assuming people can watch it on Nine now and catch up if they don't miss it when it goes to air. But make sure you do watch it when it goes to air because otherwise you'll miss out when everyone's around the water cooler on Monday morning talking about Kula. <laughs> Uh, we're talking about Warnie. You want to be in on that conversation, um, Alex? Thank you so much for coming on the show, um, and thank you so much for all your contributions to the Toe Fop Network this year. We've had you bloody doing everything. Two guys, one cup, toe fops, and now Toe Fop Plus.
1: It's been nice and consistent. You know, more donuts than I was expecting, but that's all good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, between us and Warnie, you've had more donuts yeah, in your life than you ever one. thought you ever would. Oh yeah! Oh yeah!